You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey guys, good morning. Focal passage is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, and we'll be reading through chapter 2, verse 10. Love for you to follow along in your Bibles, uh, or you can follow along in the screen. If you do not have a Bible, you can stop by the Connect desk. We would love to gift you one this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning verse 21. The man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah and her husband said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, and my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Take no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who... Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. The Lord brings down to Sheol and rises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on him he sets the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is God's word. You can be seated, and children here can be dismissed to their classes. Thanks, Adam. All that's pretty self-explanatory, but we'll talk about it for an hour anyway. Uh, My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. If you would, uh, just join me once again as I pray. Father, thank you for all that's happened today. Thanks for a a full room of people Um, Thanks for prayers prayed, songs sang, your word read, and just ask that over the next few minutes that you would grant us your mercy. Holy Spirit, would you do the work that you do to illuminate what is true, and would you let us see that truth in the context of Hannah and and Elkanah and these people that, that lived a long, long time ago, and would you let us see you in light of your truth even here right now, today, wherever we are. God, thanks for your goodness and your grace to us. Would you remind us of of the ways that you move that are unexpected? And would you let us respond by living a life of worship because of your great works? In Jesus' name, amen. You are a worshiper. There is no denying that. You are a worshiper, and you may have come in here today, and you don't know anything about anything that's been prayed or sang or 
talked about or whatever, but I want you to know that you are a, a worshiper. There is no denying that. Our hearts long and our affections are stirred and our comfort and our safety and our peace and our joy, they hinge on something. All those things hinge on some one or some circumstance to fight for or, or to fight against with all that we have. That makes us worshipers. We worship by giving our whole selves to things. But there's only one thing worth giving our everything to, and that is, that is the Lord. And when we live the, the right, best, fullest way, we love him with, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, with all that we got that's what we were created to do. R.C. Sproul talks of worship this way. He says, it is the pleasing of God that is at the heart of worship. It is the pleasing of God that is at the heart of worship. Therefore, our worship must be informed at every point by the word of God as we seek God's own instruction for worship that is pleasing to him. He shows us how to live he shows us how to worship in the, in the fullest of life type of way. Worship, now and forever, it's, it's not optional, nor is it confined to, to a worship gathering like this one, where we stand up and we clap, sometimes awkwardly, uh, or we, we raise our hands or, or we sing. I remember some years ago, I think someone asked and, and like asked Pastor John, John Piper, like, will there be sports in the new heavens and new earth? Like, will there be competition? Like, it's such a big part of our life. Um, and, and these are my words, but basically I remember him saying, like, sh like sure, all, all the joys of life that we get to interact with are, are faded versions. They are incomplete versions. They are a shadow of all the joys that are to come. But they are pointing us to the greater joys that are to come. I believe that to be true. All of life is worship. And it's our job to align our hearts in such a way that all of our life is worship to the only one who can handle us, can handle all of our stuff, and the only one who can satisfy us most deeply and most completely. A life of true worship knows and responds to the unexpected works of God. That's what we get to tease out today. And today we, we join a scene about barrenness and babies and prayer and dependence and marriage and relationships, our stuff and our stuff on loan. But, but at the end of the day, this is a scene centered around the temple because the reality is it is a scene about worship, about God's plans and God's people. So we are continuing on. I told Kim this week, I said, I feel like we've been preaching in, in Samuel for months. This is the second, this is the second week um, of 44 or something like that. So uh, we are continuing on <laughs> just out the gate today in this series called Kingdom Come uh, because it is about kings and kingdoms but just not yet, right? We're not getting to that point yet. For now, we only see a sweet act of sacrificial worship from our girl, Hannah, that we looked at last week. And we see the first thing is this true worship, which is what we're looking at. It gives back to God. True worship gives back to God. I want to read uh, this again, the, the, first, uh, the, the remainder of chapter 1. The man Elkanah and all his house went out to offer to the Lord a yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. And again, context, we're, we're just picking it up as we're reading along. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, she had prayed for a child. She got pregnant with a child. She was barren for many years. Um, her husband was married to another woman who had kids. And so lots of, lots of hurt in this. But, but here she has the child. As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Kind of wild. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, 
Again, he's like a decent dude trying to figure out what marriage is like with being married to two women. And um, he says, do what seems best to you. That's a, <laughs> that's a good thing. Hey, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him two or three years. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull and uh, ephah of flour and a skin of wine. That's all part of the sacrificial stuff that's going on in this temple. And she, br- she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. It's so interesting. I, I say this is about worship because we keep seeing these instances, but when you add them up, we're talking years in advance. And, and the only thing we've seen, the only glimpse of their life that we've seen is literally at, at the temple, at a worship gathering of some type. But they live these lives years in between. We're only seeing these little snippets. The child was young, so they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. Eli is the priest. We've already met him in chapter 1. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. Again, by this time, it seems to be years later. And remember, Eli was like, hey, woman, stop drinking. You're drunk. Because she was praying in a way that was quiet and subdued. Not really sure what's happening there. So they had an interaction. And remember, she said, I'm praying. No, I'm not drunk. I'm struggling and I'm pouring my heart out to the Lord. And Elkanah said, man, may the Lord grant you whatever it is that you're asking, right? So then she comes back, she has what it was that she asked for, and she said, oh my Lord, as you live, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him, the word lent there often translated give, right? And so I, I, I have given him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is given to the Lord. And again, the ESV says, and he worshiped the Lord there. Many other translations said, and they worshiped the Lord there. And so that, that's, that's the scene. That's what's happening. True worship gives back to God. I want you to think about a room with lots of kids running around, uh, a daycare, a preschool, maybe your own house, certainly on the other side of that wall right now. This is happening a lot. Uh, and, and think of some of the sayings that, that kids say in an, in an environment like that. Like, like he's, he, he's hitting me. You're going to hear that, right? Every day, that's probably what you're going to. He's, he's hitting me, or, or don't color on my face, or, or stop mocking me, or, or nose picking his nose, or, 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 or that's mine. You're always, you're always going to hear that. Like, that's, that's mine. And, and the truth is, it's probably the daycares. It's probably not the kids to begin with, but, but he or she had it first, and so, they, hey, this is mine. See, see, baked into the fabric of humanity, tiny or, or full-grown, is a mine problem. Sure, there are, there are beautiful TikToks of kids being kind to other humans. Like, that happens. Uh, and, and, and you may even encounter another kind human from time to time in your own life. But, but that's mine is a real problem, and it's soaked deep into our hearts. We might call it entitlement. We might call it an entitlement problem, we think we have a right to things that in reality may or may not be ours to begin with. Jesus, he shares a parable, a, a, uh, a story that kind of tells a tale, right? And, and, it, and it's pointed to kind of teach something. And it's in, in Matthew chapter 25, but the short of it is, is this. A master is leaving and he's giving some things away and he gives five talents to one servant or to one person, he gives two talents to another and one talent to another. And, and a talent is actually like a large, like a really large sum of money, like 15 years worth of labor. That's a pretty significant amount of money. So he gives those to them and then he leaves. And then he comes back and he's like, hey, like, where's my stuff? And they're like, here, here, Lord, uh, you gave me five, and I did what I did, and, and now I want to give you back ten. Like, I invested it properly. I want to give you back ten. And he's like, hey, that's great. And then he goes to the one that he gave two, and he's like, hey. And he's like, hey, you gave me two, and I want to, here's four. Like, I, I doubled it. And he goes to the one that, that he only gave one, 
And, and he's like, hey, where's my stuff? And, and that person was like, hey, I'm super scared of you. And so I just buried it. But like, here's the thing that you gave me, right? And, and then I, I think in a relatively stark way, when I read that, I'm like, huh. Like the master doesn't respond very kindly. In fact, he calls him a wicked servant. He says, you wicked servant. And, 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 and he goes on, he says, he who is faithful with little will be given much. It's so interesting. And, and we, we talk about that as if it's about playing the stock market, right? It's like capital gains on interest. I don't even know what any of that means, right? But, but we read that and we're like, that, that's what's happening here. But, but I don't think it's so much about percentages on investments as it is the, the big idea that all that we have been given and, and all that we all that we earn in this life, all that we have and all that we feel entitled to that, that isn't even ours, none of it is really ours at all. None of it is. <clears throat> Everything you've ever called your own is really on loan from the Lord to multiply his glory. Everything that you have, everything that you are, and, and it's really easy to look at that and think of stuff. Okay, all of your stuff you have. Okay, all of your, your money and whatever it is. Okay, all, all of the, the things. That, that's really easy to identify and say, all right, how am I using this to, to give back God's glory, right? But, but our entitlement extends beyond stuff, especially when we think of things like, like talent and skill. Like, what do I have to offer? And what am I doing with that, that that's multiplying the glory of God? And, and it's not like, it's not just, don't think like, well, my skills are, are what it, like, I, I can't stand up there and talk about the Bible. That's not it at all, right? I can't either. And yet here we are, right? And so, like, what skills or talents do you have? The health that you have. How are you using that to, to multiply the glory of God? Certainly the money that you have. Certainly your time. And time is like a really big deal because it's, it's limited. It's not like any other resource. It, it is limited. Think about how we use our time. And we say things like, oh, I'm not going to do that because that's not worth my time. That's not worth my time to do that. And that's good. You have to say no to things. You have a, a limited resource. I think I told you a couple weeks ago, maybe or maybe not, that I'd been using a few, just only a couple, like app timers on my phone, right? And so uh, I'm on whatever app, and it tells me, hey, you have 10 minutes left, or you have five minutes left, and it's like, and then it just shuts off, and it's like, hey, well, okay. Now, I, that's me trying to make good use of my time, because if not, then it's really easy to get caught up in just like frivolous spending of my time. But I want you to know this. Me, I am, I care about my time because I always feel like I'm behind in every part of my life. I even changed the settings on my keyboard on my phone. You know, like when you long press and it turns into like an exclamation point, right? Standard is 300 milliseconds. No, not for me. That, that takes me too long. I reduced that to like 130 milliseconds, right? So if you typed with my phone, you would just be making all kinds of errors, right? But for me, I'm like, no, I need those 150 milliseconds. Like, gosh, nobody has time to wait for that. That's me, right? Yeah. We say things like, it's my time as if we hold our years or our days or our moments in our hands, as if we're the ones. Like, on one hand, I get it, like, YOLO, okay, that's probably true or whatever. On the other hand, our days are numbered, but here's the kicker, not by you. Your days are not numbered by you. And you might live long, and you might not. And really, we have some part to play in that in the way that we manage our, our bodies and, and walk in wisdom. But at the end of the day, the Lord will do what he will do. All we have, it, it's not about our life, our time is not about the, the quantity of time. It's not about assuming that you have 30 years left or 50 years left or whatever it is. It's about the, quanti the, the quality of time, the way that you use that time to multiply the glory of God. So all we have is, is currency for worship and glory. Everything that you have. And you're always spending it. And you're always exchanging it. 
Worship and glory and time and skills and energy and stuff, all those things, you're always buying worship. You're always buying glory. The question is, what are you doing with it and who are you trying to worship and bring glory to? That is the question. So the aim is, sure, budget time and money and and train up your children as a gift and, and invest in your marriages and use your stuff as currency for giving back, all that. But we get to do that with heartfelt thanks and we get to be satisfied in him and, and, and we get to live pleasing lives to him according to his established ways. Now, all that comes true in this scene, in this account of Hannah, who was subject to worship something that she didn't have because it cost her so much pain. And certainly when she gets it, she is, she is certainly capable of worshiping that thing that she longed for for so many years. And yet, we see her give her gift, and we see her worship the Lord. And so two things that we see here, God remembered Hannah. That's really important. Remember, that was her prayer in chapter one. God, would you remember me? And we talked about he doesn't forget. It's not like he's like, oh, I wasn't even thinking. You weren't on my task app. No, but remember me and move. Would you act on my behalf? And we see that God, he did. He always remembers. He always acts. He just might not act in the way that we want him to. So God remembered Hannah. And then, in the craziest way, Hannah remembered her vow. Remember, she wasn't just, God, if you just give me, uh, give me a kid, then I'll give you anything. Then I will, I'll show up at this temple every single day. I will give you all of the whatever. I, I won't ever do that again. I, no, it wasn't. She said, if you give me this child, he's your child. I will give him back to you. And she remembered her vow. Her yes meant yes. In the culture that we live in, afraid of commitment as we are in every way, her yes meant yes. And and what's true about this is for those who worship the Lord, those who live in light of, of, of who Jesus is to us, we get to live consistently in our word in our vows, vows committed mean something, and we get to live those things out. This is where we fail. If we do turn to the Lord in our distress, and he does act on our prayer, and maybe even in the way that we, we ask him to, do we remember, do we thank him, do we praise him, do we trust his response, even if it wasn't what we prayed for? Or do we just go about our day? See, here Hannah shows a heart of devotion, a heart of of worship to the Lord over and above herself. There's this word that the Bible talks about a lot, we talk about a lot, idolatry. And and idolatry is part of our our self-absorbed human condition. The word idolatry literally means the worship of idols. But if you don't know what an idol is, that's not very helpful right? So, so idolatry is the worship of idols, and, and I think one says it, it's less like a graven image or a golden calf. We see in scripture literally them melting down earrings and jewelry and making a calf and saying, look at this thing. Isn't it great? Let us pray to this thing, or at least the God behind this thing. That's what idolatry looks like on the surface, like literally bowing down to dead things that you just made with your hands. That's wild. But less like a graven image or a golden calf, our idols today are often that which most capture our heart's affection instead of God. Or the way that I usually uh, talk about idolatry is, is elevating created things over the creator of all things. So when I say we're worshipers, like now we're getting somewhere, and I can't sift your heart, but, but you can ask the Spirit even right now, to sift your heart, to sift your mind, and God, would you show me where I, ele- I elevate created things above the creator of all things? And, and I just want to remind you of, of uh, two things. One, remember, Hannah could have been worshiping a child long before she had one. And so if you say, well, how could I worship money? I'm not rich. You worship the idea of what wealth would get you. And then when you get it, it's just going to show up in terrible ways, 
right? And so she, she does the same thing. She, she could have, but it seems like she's, she's not doing that. She's not falling into the trap, right? Here she has, uh, we, we have heard that the heart is an idol factory, uh, one of the reformers said that the heart is an idol factory. It's always producing idols, things for us to worship. So how does that show up? How would I know? Well, how about this? For those who are in Christ, what about willful sinning? Just directly. Living as if God isn't. Willfully. Saying, yeah, I, I see that here. But I just don't think I can... Yeah, I know that that, gosh, that actually defames the name of Jesus. That actually robs him of glory. That's actually worshiping something other than him. But, but man, like, but it's just so hard. So I think I'm just going to do, like, that's what sin looks like. So if you find yourself, you look at patterns of your life and, and you say, where is there willful sinning in my life? Intentional disobedience. Where are you intentionally disobedient? I know the Lord says, but I'm doing this instead. You have a God it's just yourself. That's what we're doing when we live that way. What about this? Just fruit of the Spirit that gets spoiled. What triggers anger or hatred or impatience? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's, that's where the Spirit is, is present and God is being worshipped properly, those things show up. So look at your life and say, where are those things not present? Because my guess is, if you look into that room, you're going to be able to find the, tr the traces that lead you to what it is that you worship above all else. What about faithless prayers? That shows up two ways. Faithless prayers either don't exist, so where are you not praying? We're not trusting the Lord. Or you pray because that's what you do, and you say familiar words, and you just get through it, and you say amen, but you have no belief that God actually gives a rip, that he has remembered you, that he will remember your prayer, and certainly that he will do anything about it. So how does true worship fight against idolatry? Well, one, it, it prays continually. It does the flip. It's always submitting our mind and all the, all the ways that, that our minds are, are chaotic and, and, and unleashed and just all over. It's, it's, it's just submitting all of it to the Lord. In a moment like this, as a preacher, in a moment like this, as a hearer, hear things, you write things down, I'm saying things, I'm reading things, in the back of my mind, when I'm getting things right, I'm asking the Spirit to do work that I could never do. In pain and suffering, I'm, I'm praying in celebration, God, thanks be to God that you've given me this life, this thing, this whatever it is. So, so it prays continually, and secondly, it gives back what God has given. God, you've given me this? And I want, I want to give it back to you. Man, I just heard yesterday, I was chatting with, with Mitch, one of the guys in Guatemala, and he was talking about someone, a dude that's sick. Some of us have been praying for him or whatever. And, and he's like, man, there's this guy at this, this church in Alaska that they partner with as well. And he's like, you know, the medical expenses were like $13,000 for this kid. And, and this guy's like, yeah, that's fine. He's like, what do you mean that's fine? He's like, yeah we'll cover it, right? And then he's like, oh, and let me know if there's other stuff and so let him know of something else, $6,000. Yeah, we're good. And I'm like, can you imagine? And so one, maybe that's, maybe that's not worship for that guy. Maybe he's got so much money that it doesn't even matter. But, but can you imagine using whatever it is in little or in much just to, just to be able to do good works in the name of Jesus? That's wild. See, all you have is yours on loan, all of it. It's all an opportunity to worship the fullness of God through the fullness of life. We worship God in every part of his city through every part of our lives. 
man, that, that means that, that work and time and money and home and stuff and thoughts and actions and words and deeds and relationships and singleness and marriage and success and suffering and barrenness and children, all of those things, it, it means that the way we manage, the way that we care for, the way that we invest in, the way that we build those things matters ultimately to the king and kingdom first and as contributors to this world second. Like, real practically, parents probably are not dropping their kids off at the 210 here at the age of three and saying, he's yours, and you should not do that. <laughs> that's, that's what Hannah did. Right? Probably some cultural context that like, would be helpful. Oh, so, you know, the next chapter, Hannah gets arrested, Right? <laughs> That's what would happen around here. And so, like, you're probably not doing that, but we do get to build true God worship in the way that we model, in the way that we respond, in the way that we shape, in the way that we repent with our kids, in the way that we, we build up in the world. All of life as worship, it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by you just responding to life. But our lives must be built on purpose with joy Day by day. The way this ends. For, for this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made for him. Therefore I, I have given him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he has given to the Lord. Then and there they worshiped God. The second thing. True worship rejoices in the works of God. We probably have to hurry up. That's my problem, not yours. Or maybe it is yours. <laughs> Here we are. Game's at six. You'll be fine. Uh, two, this is Hannah praying. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. That's like a, literally an animal horn, but also it represents battle and, and dependence because they use those horns for, for military purposes. Uh, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Is that what your prayers sound like? I'm just curious. Minus the horn part. That's weird. Whatever. But talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a is a God of knowledge, and, and by him actions are weighed. Skip down to verse 8. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness for not... By might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. How do we respond by rejoicing in the works of God? Well, what Hannah does is she prays. She just turns to the Lord here we have one of the most famous prayers of all time, a prayer that sets the course for the entire accounts of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and a prayer that is no doubt on the radar of Jesus' mother. A thousand years after this, uh, his mother Mary, when, when she gets pregnant through an unexpected circumstance. So what is all this saying? To you, O Lord, I lift my heart and soul. I rejoice in your saving works. You are, you are set apart alone as God. I'm humbled by your strength. You know all, including motive and inward thoughts of everyone. See, he has, he has the power to change things. He is protector of the faithful. He makes distinction between his own and the wicked. Opposing God will end in ruin. He judges and he gives strength to his king. The odd thing here is that there's not a king yet at this point in history. And so it's like, it's peculiar. Uh, of course, some think it's prophetic that, that she's praying this prayer uh, that because her son, Samuel, will grow to be a, a kingmaker. 
He will be the one that anoints and sets apart uh, Israel's kings. Whether it's prophetic, whether there's some insight here that we don't see, or, or whatever the circumstance, we do know this, that, that it is true. That he judges and he gives strength to his king, and he's getting ready to set up a kingdom, and that really, really matters. So we, too, get to consider the works of God, and we get to rejoice. Like, I have prayed prayers, and I have heard prayers prayed. I have seen God deliver. And I've watched people respond by living as if it was their work that delivered them from the mess that they had gotten themselves into to begin with. I, I know I've done that. I'm guessing it, that you've done that. And some people do that in really stark ways. That, that is to say that, that we get to look at the works of God and we get to respond appropriately rejoicing that God has done these good works. So, so for us, one thing we get to do is just reflect, like, where has, where has God delivered? Where, where has he showed up? And there are a couple of things here. One, salvation. Hannah praised this. He has provided a way for us through Christ to deliver us from sin, from death. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from sin. He saves us for joy, for obedience into the way of the kingdom to save us from an eternity separate from the goodness, from the grace, from the mercy of God, not through the works of our hands, but through Christ, which transforms all of our works to good works. Man, if that doesn't cause you to rejoice, then, then you're probably not aware of the depth of your own sin. And you're probably not aware of the, of the reach of the Lord himself to save you from your sin. Stephen Larson says this of salvation. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous, but a gift for the guilty. That's true. That's the heartbeat of, of everything that happens up here. It's the heartbeat of, of what we're trying to do as the village. It's the heartbeat of, of God's global church everywhere. This reality that salvation is not a reward for, for the righteous, but it is a gift for the guilty. It's what Christ has done. It's not what we have done. So we rejoice. And the question is, is that true for you? And, and I want to encourage you, if that's not true for you, if you don't understand what that means, man, today can be the day where the Lord would, would save you from sin, death, hell, separation from him. And he would invite you into eternal life with him and his people, literally in, in paradise forever. And all we have to do is trust that Jesus did what we could never do. He pleased God on our behalf. The second thing, how do we know where he has delivered us from? Well, well, what about prayers prayed? Look at your life. And I know some of you journal, some of you take notes, and some of you look back over that, and some of you don't, and that's okay. But some of the best ways to remember our most desperate times are to remember the prayers that we prayed. Like to remember, oh gosh, I remember being in that room, and I remember, you know, my whole community group being around me and praying for me that I might be able to get through that and look at me now. And I just sort of forgotten that, that I was so desperate. But look where the Lord has delivered. And, and I know this, that nothing brings us running to God like suffering, like coming to the ends of ourselves. And I know also that, that nothing will cause us to run away from him, uh, proud of our own work like success and comfort. <laughs> the third thing... Um, as we look and we ask the question, where has God delivered? Look at all that you have. Assess your life. And I, I know it's so easy to be negative in this world. Like, I, I get it. It's easy to be uh, half, you know, glass half empty people. 
And, so, and, and just we kind of look at our life and how are things? Oh, fine, but I don't have this. And yeah, how are things? Fine, but I have tension in this relationship. How, and it's just always negative. But if you can get out of that, like we look at where the lack is, but, but, but a good encouragement to worship God in truth is, is to just reflect on what he's given you. The, the good, sure, and even the bad that has made you draw near to him. What has he given you that you might depend on and delight in him? The scripture says, what do you have that you did not receive and if you did indeed receive it, then why do you boast as though you had not received it? It means everything you have is a gift. So how do we respond? Well, how do you rejoice to the works of God in your life? The third thing is this. True worship understands the reversal of God, I want to read verse four through seven, and I just want you to see like the flips that, that God is up to, and this is her prayer. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven I think she went on to have five more kids after this. The barren, it's seven, perfect number, whatever. The barren has borne seven, but she who has had many children is forlorn. Maybe a bit of a jab there, right? Read the first chapter later if you don't know why that would be a bit of a jab. But the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up the place of death and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. It's just reversal. God is up to stuff and his kingdom unfolds in, in quite unexpected ways. His ways are not my ways. Have I ever told you that? His ways are not your ways. His ways are not our ways. There's not like a pro-con list. Ah, like the ways of the Lord are, are perfect. They're just not our ways. He has all the power and he joins earth as a helpless baby. Reversal. He's a king of the universe and beyond. Man, in, in Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's this one guy, he's a bad dude. He was looking for infinity stones, infinity gems, and, and if he had them, then he would have like a lot of power, right? And so there's the mind stone, and that, that gave him the, the ability to discern. There's the reality stone, the ability to re, uh, erase physical things and, and, and people. The soul gem, the ability to take life power. The power gem, the ability to execute any task. The space gem, uh, gave him the ability to reach any place, the time, Jim, to be anywhere and anyone all at once. And if he had those, then he would be all-powerful. And if he had those, he would snap his fingers and he would destroy half of the earth, half of the universe. There's more to it than that. See, God has all of those stones. He's not thirsting for more of any of that. He's outside of time. He's infinite in wisdom and, and all of these things. He could snap his finger and he wouldn't even have to snap his finger. And, 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 and he has more power to the infinite degree and humanity. Here's the thing. Like this is where the cinematic universe gets it wrong. That they're all living, but if he snaps, they're dead. See, humanity is already dead. We come into this world broken and stained by sin. Which means our end is the way of death. Our end is, is separation from God, living in the flesh for now, but, but our end is the way of death. Yet he comes, Jesus comes, all-powerful. God himself comes and he lays down his power. He lays down his life, not to make others suffer, but he suffers so that others might live for no reason other than to, to offer mercy and to receive mercy the glory that only he is due. 
He's, he's the greatest, and yet he came and he washes dirty feet. Not to, to annihilate, but to offer life to all who would trust in him. God is, is a God of great reversal. Eric Raymond said in one article I read, uh, he says, this promise of reversal salvation through the seed of woman is the mother promise in the Bible from which all other declarations of deliverance trace their lineage. God works as this problem throughout redemptive history, foreshadowing it with surprising and glorious reversals. See, I mentioned that Hannah's prayer sometimes called Hannah's song, is it no doubt inspires young pregnant Mary and Mary's prayer and Mary's song in Luke 1 when she is pregnant with Jesus, the Son of God. Raymond goes on, he says, what's interesting when you consider Mary's song is how much it sounds like another song in the Bible. Mary's song samples some of the choruses and beats from Hannah's song back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where we are. Like Hannah, Mary rejoices at how God advances his kingdom through these glorious reversals, bringing grace to the humble and bringing down the proud while lifting up the humble. This theme of reversal, it pervades the story of the kingdom. We see it in, in if you don't know anything about the scriptures, all these people are significant in, in the Old Testament uh, up, up to this point and, and a little bit after. We see it in Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau and Judah and Tamar and David and Saul and even in the little town of Bethlehem pointing to Jesus. God loves to trumpet the glory of the kingdom through these ironic reversals. But the most substantial reversal is also the most jaw-dropping. In due time, this baby that is born of Mary will grow to be a man. This unique person, truly God and truly man, fully God and fully man, will suffer the rejection by men and be forsaken by God. Why? Because he's taking the place of sinners like you and sinners like me. And he never sinned. Not in one thought, not in one motive, not in one action. On the cross, we have the greatest and most significant reversal. Paul writes of it this way. He says, for, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John Stott, we can't talk about the reversal without saying this. It's in our Village Gate content stuff. The concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of, man, uh, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims rights or, or powers, prerogatives, which belong to God alone, and God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. That is the good news. That is the great reversal. And so the question is, do we grasp this idea of reversal? And if so, then we can embrace a kingdom that's, that's out of this world. We can lay down our desire to prove and to power up and use every gift as like a, a reverse Uno card, changing the flow of things, changing the way, receiving from God and giving back to him with all joy for all time. The bank can come on up. You are a worshiper. There's no denying that. Our hearts long. Our affections are stirred. Our comfort and safety, our peace and joy hinge to something, someone, some circumstance to fight for or to fight against with all that we have. We worship by giving our whole selves to things. But there's only one thing worth giving our everything to, the Lord himself and when we live the right, best, fullest way, 
We love with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength, with all we got. A life of true worship knows and responds to the unexpected works of God. See, we are all living stones making the temple of God. That's what the Bible says. Wherever he is, wherever we are, he is present and, and there's an opportunity for him to be worshiped. We are, we're all living sacrifices acceptable and pleasing to him. Where, where, where we delight in the end of ourselves, he is glorified. And where, where, where he is given all glory, we find the fullness of joy and the treasure of true life in him. Man, we get to respond to this. We can do that by standing up and singing with the band. You can sit right where you are and just pray. Right? You can move your lips like Hannah, or you can engage your mind. Right? You, can, you can sing loudly with the band. You can sit over there and pray at that prayer bench, if that would be helpful. Someone over there would love to pray with you. Right? If there's anything that you're struggling with, or is there anything you want to celebrate and just thank God for, if you don't know any of the stuff that we talked about, but Jesus seems curious to you, man, hunt me down. We would love to chat with you about what it looks like to live a true life of worship because of who our God is. And for those who are in Christ, we get to respond by taking uh, a meal that he has invited us to, that he has set the table for. And we get to take of the, the, the bread and the juice, and we get to do that as a reminder of the body of Jesus that was broken, his blood that was spilled for us, so that we might remember his works and so that we might declare him not only to those around us, but even to ourselves, all right? If you're not in Christ, that's not for you. But all of that other stuff is. We would love to chat with you. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for, thanks for being a God of great reversal. Thank you that you, you don't do things like, like we see fit. And you didn't just come and establish a kingdom and have a scepter that shoots lightning out of it. And, and, and you power up in every situation, but you came as a servant to serve the least, to serve us. You laid your life down so that we might have any life at all. And it turns out that when we trust you, we don't just have a little bit of life. We have the fullest version of life here on earth and the fullest version of a life to come eternally with you and your people. Would you let us not waste our moments, our days, our gifts, all that you've given us by worshiping lesser things? But would you even right now today, let us begin to live a life that worships you, for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name.